I'm Pat Whalen. And I'm Mike Field. And throughout the history of cinema, nothing can compare with the phenomena of the MCU. Each episode, we'll tackle one film and discuss the differences between the comic book and what's on screen. We'll explore the growth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from its inception to present day and beyond. And we'll have a little fun along the way. We may not have been first or second or even 48th, but we're hoping you'll take the journey with us into the MCU as we are yet another MCU podcast. You can find us on Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts today. Hey, it's Andrew Morgan, host of the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. Each week, we review the biggest Netflix original movies with special guests from the film industry, the music industry, comedians, and of course, our fellow podcasters. Check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com. Follow us on the socials at nomcastpod. And most importantly, listen and subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts. Hit that beat one time. When you leave, they're going to leave. They can't leave. They'll play with us. Yes, we need somebody to play with. They'll be our friends. Yes, play with us. Yes, they'll be one of us. That's why he is so. That's why he is so. Well, you want to turn it into that? You want to turn that into this kind of podcast? Let's go. What'd you love about it, Butler? Because I'm going to kill it. We're supposed to assume that you know that she's going to have bloodlust, and you're shocked and angry when she bites you when you have an open wound right in front of her? Like, make it, dog, make it, dog. Hello, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Horror Podcast. Scared yet? Well, you will be. Shut up. <laughs> Each episode, we will highlight a horror movie that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. It could be because a scarier, creepier movie was released at the same time. Perhaps audiences were accidentally transported into an alternate universe. Or maybe audiences didn't see enough of the movie through their hands over their eyes because they were scared. You see where we're going with that. We'll break down the movie as well as discuss what we like or don't like about the movie, but we'll always suggest that you bring this movie back from the dead for a revisit. If you're not too afraid of our podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are available. That is my best low creepy voice. <laughs> That's all you get. That's all you get. What are we doing this week, Mike? Oh, we're doing. I can't do their whispering voice. Whoa, 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 whoa. What was that? The things? I was trying to be the little things. Interesting. <laughs> we're doing. Oh, we're doing. We're doing. What are we doing? Oh, we're doing. We're doing. Don't be afraid of the dark. <laughs> <laughs> What's that about? Well, don't be afraid of the dark is about a young girl sent to live with her father and his new girlfriend believes that she has released creatures from a sealed ash pit in the basement of her new home. That is the one sentence description on IMDb, and it is better than the paragraph description, which was awful. So I like I the longer descriptions. That's fine. Don't have the, to do the it. The longer description really isn't right. what the movie's about, so I don't like it. <laughs> so Don't Be Afraid of the Dark is rated R, which we'll get into. Uh, yep. It's a runtime of 99 minutes, production budget of $25 million. It's opening weekend. It did $8.5 million, domestic $24 million, and worldwide Thirty-eight million, so probably broke even. Not so good. Um, I don't know. Maybe who knows? I mean, I don't know how it did on VOD DVD or DVD or, DVD or yeah. HBO that stuff. 
It was released on August 26, 2011. Its production company was Necropia and Gran Via, and it was distributed by Film District. It says Film District and Miramax Films, but this film was being put together right during the Disney sale of Miramax Films after, you know, Weinstein got into some much deserved trouble and they had to like shuffle Miramax out. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the movies in Film District picked it up and distributed it. So, like I said, it came out on the 26th and the same day as Columbiana and Our Idiot Brother. I don't even, I think I saw Our Idiot Brother, but I do not remember it. I didn't see either of those movies. <laughs> I know what they are, but I didn't see them. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wednesday after you had The Debt, which was the, I believe the one where they go and go after the Nazi war criminal, I think. Is that the debt? Or they're going to kill somebody? I don't know. And then you had the week after, which was the 2nd of September, you had Apollo 18 and Shark Night 3D. Now, I put those in there because those are kind of like horror movies. And since this is a horror movie, I wanted to try to put some horror movies in there. I remember kind of liking Apollo 18. I remember it being very short. So that it didn't was, overstay its welcome. That was like a done like a documentary, right? Like kind of some of it, lost yeah, footage or something. Because they wanted to find out. They, they found out the Soviets got to the moon at some point in between the Apollo missions. So this is the true last mission to figure out why they haven't seen any activity on that base right or what happened to that shuttle because they never saw anything come back oh i never i didn't know that that was just a horror movie you watched it with me did i yeah. apollo 18 yeah we watched it one night because it was only like i don't 80 minutes man i don't think i it. did dude i don't think i did that wasn't me mm-hmm. okay. oh maybe it was canon yeah well first of all uh, that's, i take a little offense about yeah, the fact same, you think it's really tall. that doesn't mean that's that's where the difference is that I mean, excuse me that's where the similarities end both white we wear glasses and uh, i don't wear glasses all the time just when i have to read stuff off the (laughs) monitor here so the week before this movie which is august 19th you had spy kids 4d all the time in the world i'm sorry it's not good (laughs) (laughs) the fright night 2011 which we did last year for forgotten horror yeah it's interesting that we got to the same time area time period here conan the barbarian and one day and then the i wanted to put another horror movie in there which came out the august august 12th which was final destination because when you have a horror movie like this, like Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, it's not only competing with the movies that come out either the same day or the week after, week before. It's also competing with the most recent horror movie that's out. Right. Was Final Destination 5 the one with the tanning booth? Oh, man. was it, Is that the one where they're on the bridge at the beginning? Is that 5? And then it ends in the movie theater? I don't know. I honestly... I know first one is obviously the um, the original the plane. The second one is. Oh, what is the second one? How do they die in the second know, one? The third one's the highway, right? No, the third one is the carnival. Right. Yep. So then the either the fifth one's the highway or the second one's the highway. The second one's the highway because the, the fifth yeah. one is the bridge. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're probably wrong. But... <laughs> I feel like we had the same conversation when we did Fright Night. That's fine. That's fine. Everyone likes the repeats. Uh, directed by Troy Nixie. He is a comic book artist, actually. He, so this is actually the only movie he did, well, only feature he did. Um, he's written, or he's uh, drawn, I guess is more accurate, Harley Quinn. He did the Matrix comics, and Neil Gaiman's Only the End of the World Again. Only the End of the World Again, excuse me. He got this movie because he sent his short Latchkey's Lament to Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. to just kind of look for feedback. And del Toro came back and said, like, hey, you want to direct this movie? So I, mean, <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. That's good feedback. And obviously, this movie is written by Guillermo del Toro and Matthew Robbins. Del Toro, obviously, you probably know him from all the other movies that he's done uh, in terms of more recently, The Shape of Water, which he was, uh, which he won the Oscar for. Mm-hmm. He actually won the Oscar for Best Picture and Best Director. He was nominated for that movie for a script, and he also nominated for a script and foreign language film for Pan's Labyrinth. 
Um, well renowned, everyone knows him. He's also written Mimic, The Devil's Backbone, Crimson Peak, just to kind of give you a couple other things. He wrote this with Matthew Robbins. Matthew Robbins, Mr. Butler, wrote the Sugarland Express. Oh, yeah. Which is another episode we did. Season three. Yes. He's also did Batteries Not Included and Dragon Slayer, which is an 80s film, which, I mean, we could, you could make a case to put this on our list. This is based on the 1973 teleplay written by Nigel McKean. It was an ABC movie, ABC TV movie. He has the, he's worked primarily in TV. He did the TV show Family and Bright Promises. These are TV shows from back in the 80s and 70s. Cinematography by Oliver Stapleton. He has worked on The Grifters, The Cider House Rules, and The Comedian, to name a few. Composer uh, Marco Beltrami, who was nominated for an Oscar for The Hurt Locker and 310 to Yuma, another episode we did. Yeah. And uh, The 310 to Yuma, not Hurt Locker. And he also did more recently Ford vs. Ferrari. And then Buck Sanders is also given a credit here, but he is Beltrami's uh, right-hand man. He does everything with him. So what Beltrami he Beltrami also did a lot of Del Toro stuff, I noticed. Mimic. Yeah. Blade 2, Hellboy. Yep. Yep. So I was like, oh, wow, he's been with him for a long time. Yep. I like Beltrami. I don't think he gets grouped into the the big the big time guys a lot. I think he's usually like, well, he's not really a name. Well, who are the big time guys? Well, like Williams, Stephen Howard. Right. Hans Zimmer. Like Hans Zimmer, like people like that. But I think he's, he's pretty Kino. prolific. Yeah. Um, and his scores usually are pretty good. Like the T3, I said in the last episode, a couple episodes ago, isn't necessarily the best Terminator movie. But that the score he did for that movie is one of my favorite soundtracks. Nice. It's very, very good. Edited by Jill Bilcock. She was nominated for an Oscar for Moulin Rouge. She also did Muriel's Wedding and Strictly Ballroom. If you never heard of Muriel's Wedding, you should check it out. It's pretty funny. It's pretty good. It's with Tony Collette. It's, it's an Australian film, and it's a movie that kind of uh, put her on the map, so to say. And a lot of these, uh, there's a, a lot of the people in this movie and a lot of the people behind the scenes of this movie are Australian uh, talent, and that's because this movie was shot in Australia. So that's probably why, that's why you have a lot of these people that are working on this movie. Uh, obviously produced by Guillermo del Toro, and you already know his movies. And then Mark Johnson. And Mark Johnson uh, has produced movies like uh, Bugsy, which was nominated for an Oscar. And he actually won an Oscar for Rain Man. He also was one of the producers on the Breaking Bad TV show, which I think you know I like. There's not not a big cast. Uh, you have Guy Pierce as Alex. Uh, he, Mr. Pierce is from Memento, LA Confidential, Animal Kingdom, which is an Australian film, and Lockout. I put Lockout in there because me and Mike both love him in Lockout. And that character in Lockout needs his own movie. Absolutely. We're just going to throw that out there. Katie Holmes as Kim. Uh, a lot of people know Katie Holmes as the TV show Dawson's Creek when she first started, but she's also in Batman Begins, and she's in Pieces of April, amongst others. Bailey Madison as Sally, the uh, young girl in the movie. She is in the TV show Good Witch. She was in the movie Just Go With It and The Strangers Pray at Night. Not a lot. Not a lot since uh, this movie, but, mm. hey, you know, maybe she's uh, just hitting her stride. Jack Thompson as Harris. Now, he's in Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, Mike. Did you know that? I did not know Yeah, that. I was going to write down the name of the oh, character. Oh, wait, yes, because he's... um. Some some name character. He's uh something Lars. He's mm-hmm. the he's the Owen's Uncle Owen's father. Okay. There. There you go. Krieg. Krieg Lars. Krieg <laughs> Lars. Yeah, nerd credit. <laughs> <laughs> he's also in Australia in the Great Gatsby. You might have guessed he's an uh, Australian actor. And then you have Julia Blake as Mrs. Underhill. She's also an Australian actor. She is in X-Men Origins Wolverine and Aquamarine. And then I had a couple of credits here for Gary McDonald as Blackwood. He was in Moulin Rouge and Rabbit Proof Fence. And then Alan Dale as Charles J- Jacoby, yeah, Jacoby. Mm-hmm. He's in the TV show Laws. He plays Widmore, and uh, he's in the TV show Dynasty, and he's also in Captain America: Winter Soldier. So I wanted to kind of toss that in there. And now I've talked enough, Mike. Do you have any kind of facts you want to toss out there? Or I mean, I can go with more facts. I got more facts. Or just doing facts? Well, I mean, I, I, mean, got- I have stuff like the Pepper in, like stuff facts oh, later about, on, right. the original and stuff like that. All right. So I will say that Jack Thompson, his beard, very fake. Really? Yeah. I'm I looking at. I, I paused it. I'm like. 
I didn't catch that. That's not weird. He couldn't grow a beard? Or maybe he just, like, they wanted to, like, I think you'd look really good with a beard. Maybe. Yeah. We don't have time. Left in the budget? Yeah. Okay. Slap that. <laughs> so the initial release date for this movie was January 21st, 2011, but it was pushed back to August because of the sale of Air Max. So I read kind of, that. Yes. I don't think either of you did. <laughs> no, it's not, it's, it's not a summer movie. It's Well, the end of the summer is not really summer. It's just kind of put it in there. Exactly. And we'll say it's a summer movie. January is obviously a time where you, because you don't know what to do with the movie. Um, this is probably more of a, well, I'm going to, you know, this is first off. This movie's not rated R. I don't understand why it's rated R. I'll tell you why it's rated R. Go ahead. I'll do that fact. So they put it through the review board. They were hoping to make a PG-13 movie. There's anything, everything you see in this movie is very PG-13. Even when Harris gets attacked and bloodied up, nothing's too gory. Yeah. But when it came back from the review board, they got a rated R rating from the MPAA for violence and tension. Terror. Terror, rather. And... They ask, you know, is there anything to we can do to make this a PG-13 movie? And they actually just told them, why ruin a perfectly good scary movie? It's basically rated R because it's just scary. That's ridiculous. Because I've seen, I've seen much scarier films that are PG-13. Like Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Like that's, and Del Toro uh, produced that as well. And wrote, yeah. And wrote, and wrote, wrote one of them or wrote part of it. He didn't direct well, he, it. It's just story. It's just, he's got story by credit. Yeah. yeah. Um, why we're in a perfectly good scary movie? You've already put this movie in a in a pigeon a pigeonhole because it's rated R, so it's you're not going to attract a YA crowd. This right. is a YA story, a young adult, um, and you're already losing a bulk of your money now I because agree, yeah. you, you're not going to get teenagers to come see this movie. This so MPA, you 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 screwed them. You, Basically, you, you you screwed Del Toro over because he need this. This is a this is a movie that even if it's and I, I have obviously there's things we'll talk about within the movie in terms of the story and what you know what I like and didn't like it. But regardless of that, this is a movie that if it's PG-13, this is a movie that every teenager kid is is, is teenagers going to because it's like oh let's go see that that's yeah. the movie and I can see it. The whole movie it's just a it's I mean it it does it is creepy but it's really just a dark fairy tale. Yeah, there's nothing really overly creepy. And I'm wondering is was Crimson Peak rated R? I I'm think so. At, I'm looking it up now because Crimson Peak was very similar in tone. It was also rated R. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't understand why you're giving rated R for terror, but Crimson Peak has some blood in that. There's some there's some violence in that in the there beginning is the, and the, the end. It's the bloody snow and he, stuff like that. Yeah, the but there's other just some, there's some he gets caught ghosts. in the machine, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. No, it, it, there's nothing in here that couldn't. And even if there wasn't, there couldn't be one. I'm looking at it. Okay, well, there's no one really swearing. So if you're talking like maybe you have to cut a couple frames out of a of a of a scene where someone gets hurt or something like that or the, the teeth scene or maybe he knocks out the teeth of the yeah but that it cuts so I, I yeah exactly unless it's the scraping on the teeth which, which is cool which is cringy uh yeah I don't I don't know I, I it's uh, you're already putting this movie in a hole when you do that and right so that that was unfortunate and I I mean I guess maybe they thought well it'll do well it'll be okay we'll be okay we can survive the R rating you didn't. Well, the I thing think that is, hurts like, them. If that was why they rated like what they didn't use that in their marketing campaign. True. If that was the case, then I'd be like, well, I mean, that's that's something we can use. Let's use that right. to push this movie. And they didn't. Right. They advertised it like it was a PG thirteen. Because when I was watching it, I didn't remember it being rated R. I was pretty sure it was PG thirteen. And I looked it up after what's, I'm like, what? What's funny is I'm watching it and about an hour in, and then I I had already looked at the IMDB page where it said it was rated R, and I'm watching, I'm going. I started doubting that. I was like, this is not rated. I went back and looked again. I was like, no, it's rated R. I don't know what I'm thinking. 
All right, so you recommended this movie. Well, you picked this movie, right? And and um, I'm curious because I've never. I I gotta be honest. I never. I don't remember this movie, and I never saw this movie. Um, so this was my first time watching it. So these are kind of like first time impressions, which always change if I watch it again or what have you. Right. But this was your second time watching. This is my second time watching it fully. Okay. So you've but seen parts of it. I, and, I watched right. like the end a couple of times when we were working at the theater. Right. And for those who, uh, if you want to watch this, it's actually on, well, it was on Netflix in August when you're listening to this. I would assume it's still I there. think it's going to yeah. be still on So you can still catch this if you, if you want to watch it. It's only an hour. Like I said, 99 minutes. So it's only like an hour 40. Yeah. What did you, what was your, did, did anything change for you? Let's put it that way. Uh, I still really like this movie. Right. I really, really like this movie. And I'm surprised it's not very well reviewed. I'm not surprised that, Mike. Of course you're not surprised because we've already talked about this, Mike. You hate everything I put on. Okay. First of all, (laughs) check your ego at the door. All right. There is no ego. Because you you, you crush it before. I don't crush it. Listen. As soon as we get to record, I'm like, that's why I don't even ask you what you thought of the movies before we podcast. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) My goodness. So you, you, you. you have oh my god! All right, fine. <laughs> but let's regardless. go. Fine. You want to turn it into that? You want to turn that into this kind of podcast? Let's go. No, What'd you love about it, Butler? Because I'm gonna kill it. <laughs> I don't even remember what the question was you asked me. Uh, Who cares? So I mean, the difference between I think this time watching it and the first time is I found it a little less creepy the second time, and that might have been the lack of the theater atmosphere. Sure. Okay. Because now I'm watching it in my living room. It's not a completely dark theater. And when I watched the first time, I watched like the five o'clock show. And my girlfriend had just gotten out of work and I had just gotten off my shift at the theater. So we went in. It was a one other guy in the front, front row. Yeah. So it was a, an empty theater showing this movie. So it was, it was pretty creepy. It was back in the all in the you're, dark. You're also watching this movie now with your computer out taking notes. And right. I get it. Knowing yeah. what happens yeah, in the yeah, story. Yeah. I understand that. So from then, you didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. But it shaded that. But I'm, I'm watching it this time more for... Now I'm appreciating the aesthetic, the the the, the set work, seeing yeah. the Guillermo del Toroness of the of the set. It, it yeah. looks very much like Crimson Peak, a little bit of Shape of Water, although Shape of Water is a different setting. But I was getting big yeah. time Crimson Peak vibes, like that's just him or Pan's Labyrinth, those kind of like set the the look well, and the lighting and stuff like that. Right, it's a very clean fairy tale. Well, that's the basement's a nice set. Yeah. The basement's a nice set. Even the front foyer is a nice set. I love but, the foyer. Um, the rooms, like yeah, they're all like. Uh, the set design is not a problem. I don't have a problem with that. My problem's story. My problem's always story, Butler. It's yeah. always story. And I, you shake your head like I'm not supposed to have that problem. No, I'm can, being told a story. You can absolutely have whatever I, problems you want. Well, what do you like? Come on. I I, I, I enjoy the quickness of the story, the speed of the story. Okay. I enjoy the setup of the creatures. It just happens later, and it's just this, this mix of fairy tales. And I really enjoy the creatures being these evil things, these little just bastards the fairies <laughs> yeah. Supposed to, yeah fairies that yeah. um i think i think it's just a very simple story i i think the the use of the creatures is very good until until it's not like what what part i just i mean i don't think i like the creatures as much this time though i like the look of them the way they're designed right but i think and maybe it's that over time mm-hmm. the cg just doesn't hold up i wrote in my notes that i think it would have been more impactful and maybe more creepy if we got a couple of animatronic Oh, you wanted more. Creatures. You want more tangible. I want tactile. Right. Yeah, oh, nothing, okay. Maybe when the arm, when she splats one of them, and the arm falls on the ground. Right. That maybe was a real like puppet arm, but other than that, you get no puppetry. You get no. Yeah, I got Feeling you. that these creatures are real in the world, and when I watch it the first time, there's this build up to the reveal. 
but I think knowing what they looked like and then watching them going like, mm, yeah, eh, I got it you. wasn't as powerful this time. The the whole idea with the creatures where they every time they awaken, right? Is that they're supposed to every time they awaken? Uh, it was they they need to eat every few hundred years. Okay, but it didn't give them a time period of like when they specifically were awakened. Okay, so they need to eat, and then they also need to take one person to replenish their ranks. Is that correct? They eat that person, and it replenishes their ranks. Like, they, they start to die off if they don't eat a person. It's oh. both food. They eat teeth and bone, but they the people that they eat replenish their ranks. So my guess is, like, it's a soul kind of thing based on they what be- you see at the end with the Katie Holmes Oh, they become voiceover. one of them? That yeah, would- I think that's why they have multiple voices. Ah, okay. Because I didn't get that. Because I didn't get the. Because uh, if they only take, they only take one. I was wondering why they took Blackwood and their son. Why they? Why did they take two people that time? Yeah. So I think they took the the kid to basically eat, and they took Blackwood as the sacrifice to eat. Right. To eat to replenish their ranks. And the kid was more like for teeth and bones and stuff. Like that. So then, so even if they eat them, they don't. It's their decision to turn them into one of them. Or maybe they took both and they. That's got what I'm at. Double, maybe they got double the. Double yeah. The fun. Right. Well, that, that was a little. That was a little. <laughs> that. That throw me a little. That's not a big thing for me. There's a couple of things they throw in here that, like Kim references, and Kim's the Katie Holmes character. Mm-hmm. She references that you know um, that she had a bad childhood, right? And I was like, okay, so what does that mean? Where does that? Why are we? And I assumed because I thought it was real crappy that she, Kim's the one that <laughs> gets taken. You know? Oh, absolutely. It's like a heartbreaking kind of ending because she's the only one that kind of believes. Sally. Right. Even towards the end, the it took a long time for her father, Alex, to come around. He had to be attacked by the creature yeah. to come around. And, and, and so Kim being taken felt really crummy. I just didn't like it. I was okay. like, come on. And and then I'm thinking, okay, well, the bad childhood line where she drops that line when she's fighting with Alex, well, because I had a bad childhood, I would understand that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, so maybe there, that's something that was a remnant of an old script point where it's supposed to give us a reasoning for her to sacrifice her life for Sally. Not, I don't buy it that it's just because she wants, not obviously not wants her to like her, but she's the stepmom or soon to be stepmom of Sally. You don't get an idea of why the, mo- the mother has dumped Sally because she's so depressed of, over the divorce. Uh, you, I get the feeling when you listen to the mom talk, it's well, always she, like she's always like at a party. Well, or the something. mom's not talking. Mom clearly is not paying attention because she's crying on the phone. Right, and she's just blowing her off. And you hear stuff in the background. Yeah. So I think mom's a socialite in Los Angeles, right. who can't be bothered with having a daughter. Right, and but this is what I'm saying. We're 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 making those assumptions and we're making those allusions to that, but we don't right. know. We're not. There's stuff in here that I think maybe didn't survive drafts, and I I just needed more for me to buy into Kim dying, buy into the mother dumping Sally on her father. I, that's all. That's all in that regard. In, in terms of that storytelling, there was a little bit more I needed. You know, the whole idea of Mr. Harris. He knows the secret, but we never know what it is. And that's the yeah. one thing I would have liked more of. Because right. from what you see is Blackwood gets taken. What happened after that? You get no history of the house. Right. Post Blackwood. Right. You get this whole build up to why Blackwood went crazy, what Blackwood found, his obsession with fairies. But you don't get anything after he was taken. And How what, Harris. What year was that? It. It did looks, it didn't it say, didn't right? say, but it looks like it's 1800s, 1800s early, early 1900s. If anything. It's been probably 100 years at least. Okay, so this would be the second time 
that these creatures come up, right? Is that what we're saying? Right. That like, we know of. Yeah. Harris has met them because exactly. the creatures know and talk to Harris and Harris talks to them like they have a familiarity. I don't get that. So yeah. he must have visited when his grandfather was a caretaker. They still spoke to Harris, but Harris was never dumb enough to release him or maybe he was. Yeah, well, exactly. That's, That's the one thing I, I know is I would have liked to see more of that because at least that fit in with the creatures. Mm-hmm. Kim's backstory, maybe a little bit more elaboration, but I didn't need too much. And I didn't really need much of Sally's mom. I, I'm not saying I need I need to both s- deadbeat parents for the most part. Well, not him. Maybe Alex was a little bit better, but he's still preoccupied with his career. Well, here's the other thing about, uh, again, going to my point of not enough. Maybe maybe it's just not enough backstory, not enough information. He talks about how like his career, he's tr- he needs this to bring his career back to get his career back. Well, mm-hmm. What the hell happened? Like you're, you're just, all I know. All I know from what I'm seeing on screen, what I'm hearing is that you're re- you renovate houses. You're trying to get this house on the front of Architectural Digest. Right. And that's it. That's all I know. But I don't understand like how you got to a point where you have been failing. Your career has gone into the crapper. I don't understand. Right. Yeah. So I don't get it. Like, yeah. I just need more. Or maybe less. Maybe you just don't need to know his career is in crapper. Because that, really, sure. that doesn't really affect anything. His career can be great. But you have one bad thing. Right. Gone, then so. maybe don't, don't throw that in yeah. there. Yeah. Right. Are, do you like Katie Holmes as an actress? No. Ooh. Okay. I think go ahead. she's very cute. I think she's very sweet. I really like her in this movie, and I think it kind of works in this movie. But I find her acting kind of stilted in a way. Well, there were but maybe mom- that's just what she goes for, and it works. But mm. well, there were moments uh, in this in the movie where when she's at the koi pond and she's talking to Sally, I, I felt a little. I didn't whether it's chemistry or whether I just maybe it was an off day. I felt I didn't understand the choices. Right. Let's put it that way. I don't think she's I don't think she's bad. Obviously, she's clearly got talent. She wouldn't be where she is. Uh, I, I think maybe there's things that certain actors can do certain things. and Certain actors can't do certain things. Certain actors need guidance more than others. OK. You know what I mean? Like she, we watched her and go and she's that, that is true. She's she, really she's good, good and go. go and she's. She was really good right. in um, Dawson's Creek, too. Yeah. But that's kind of that place. I think her character in Dawson's Creek really plays to her strength. She was, sure. Joey was her name in Dawson's Creek. Yes. It's been a while since I've seen it. Knock it off. You've seen it. I said it's been a while since I've seen oh, okay. it. Okay. <laughs> um, like, I think that that character, Joey, kind of played to her strengths. Right. And I think this is a different this is a different kind of film for her where she's kind of forced into maybe finally being a it's like more adult role sure. than she had before. Well, she did. When was Batman Begins? I know, I know, I wrote it. Uh, it was about five, six years before this. Yeah, it's not a good. It, I don't. That's not a well-written role because even Maggie true. Gyllenhaal was replaced Katie Holmes, but she didn't do much of a better job because yeah. Rachel's character was just there to have someone for Bruce to find over. Yeah, it's true, true. But yeah, I there there are parts in this where I really like her, but there's other parts where I eh. But I do like her relationship with Sally and how it builds. I like how she's trying to create a bond with her. Right. And you and, and you never really get a sense of what the you get an idea that Sally's meant to stay with her father for forever. The mother doesn't want to have custody of her or whatever. Right. And which is real shitty. <laughs> Wait, your mother didn't tell you? Yeah. <laughs> uh so but no, I do I do appreciate that stuff. I they say, listen, some people have bad days at the office. It's fine. I get it. I just there was some stuff in here that just made me kind of cock my head and be like, mm, I don't know about that one. But, but I, I wouldn't whatever. mind expanding on the story a little bit. 
my only issue with that would be you create a longer film. Sure. And while the visual style of this film is really interesting and maybe I could watch it a little longer when you're watching a horror movie, you want to keep it kind of tight yeah. for that tenseness. But the creatures being so kind of creepy before they reveal, you might have been able to increase that mm-hmm. tension before you reveal the creatures. I will say this too, going just going back to the Katie Holmes stuff is every actor and you know this, Mike, every actor is not going to get every single take right. You're going to, you're going right. to, sometimes you have to discover. So even as much as you rehearse, sometimes you have to discover what the real way to do it is. The real line reading, the real emotion. Right. You have to find it. When we talked about in Sugarland Express, yeah. how one of the two actors took two takes and the other one would take. Oh yeah. Five or, five uh, yeah. Or six, they, it was okay. Goldie Hawn needed more, uh, needed more takes to get into it more. So, and then William Atherton was always ready to go because he was more of a stage actor. And right. he, he kind of, and so Spielberg had to find the sweet spot between like at takes three and four where they both were on, or he would do cuts ones and back and forth. Yeah. Right. No, absolutely. But to my point, an actor, they may not like to admit it. They need a strong director to protect them from those mistakes in terms of being at putting it on screen. So like you need, right. you're trusting if we're just doing it, you're the actor, I'm the director, you're trusting me to put forth your best performance on screen. And that's, that's an issue. That's a trust. There's, there's a trust there. And then that's why you see sometimes actors who work with the same directors and, and there's, there's relationships, working relationship that work well because they, they know that they're going to be in good hands. Right. When in this movie, you have somebody who's never directed a feature like this, Troy Nixie, and it's his first big movie. So it's, it's hard to kind of toss. There's no blame, but just kind of toss what I'm we're talking about in terms of the performances at the actor's feet here, because the director is somebody who is there to make sure that those performances, that the best takes are on screen. Mm-hmm. So you can't. So when we've said this before, you can't ever when you see something in a movie and you see somebody that's not performing well, it is not always their fault. It, it is absolutely not always their fault. It always it's a group effort. Even when it's fantastic, it's a group effort. There's, right. I've, I'm not going to repeat them, but I know stories of people that can't do it. And their performances are cut to be great because the director is able to figure out and the editors are able to figure out, okay, let's just put something together that makes them look awesome. And it's done. And you don't know. I'm not going to say what, but you don't know. <laughs> so that's, so it works both ways. I guess I'll get off the, I'll get off the soapbox there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I, I always hate it when, this is just me as an actor. I, I don't usually try to ask a lot of questions about my performance because I figure, like we talked about, that's my job. Yeah. Um. So I go and I do my takes, and if they give me notes afterward, then we work it out. Yeah. But what I hate as an actor is, is and this maybe just is me, if I take a take and then I don't get notes afterward, Yeah. and it's like the director goes, no, 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 you don't get, if I don't give you notes, it's great. I get, I get nervous. <laughs> I get real nervous when I don't get notes. So like, so me as an actor, I do depend on that director giving me like thumbs up, thumbs down. Like, sure, oh, yeah. Was it good? What What do you want from me? Yeah. And if you don't get anything, then yes, you you start a take, especially like a film like this. Scene one is halfway through the movie, and then you go back to the beginning, and you get back to the end. Now you're stuck with whatever you created, and if it's not strong, oh uh, well. Sure, and you've been on the other side of that with me, where I'll I'll try to give you some kind of positive reinforcement, but a lot of times it's I'm looking at something else. Right. Or if I know you're doing your part well, I'll right. say yeah, the director's got a lot of other things. Right. To worry about. I'll say like, you're, you're fine. I'm focusing on this. And sometimes I, and I don't know if I've done it with you, but sometimes I'll walk up and be like, I really don't know what I'm looking for right now. Like, I don't know. It's not whatever it is. It's not working. And yeah. it, you know what I mean? Like whatever the line read is or whatever we're doing, whatever the movement is, 
like this, it's just something's off and I have to figure it out and I have to, let's just, let's just run it through again. I need to figure it out. And I'm sitting, a lot of times I'll be sitting there staring and people be like, what's up? Like, I'm just, I'm trying to think of what's going on. So like, give me right. five minutes. Like, <laughs> so like, you know, like it, it's definitely, it's not as, I mean, I know we're saying something. No one, everyone probably already knows. It's not right. as easy as it looks. So <laughs> we get that. Um, but, but back to the show, back to the show. <laughs> <laughs> I think in terms of that with directors, like a first time director, not only, you know, you, you're also doing a horror film. You've got a lot of effects that you're doing. I get it that he was known was a Lashkey's Lament was a CGI film. Short, it, yeah. Uh, it took him five years to complete yep, yep. by himself, which is impressive. But now you're dealing with CGI on a, a, a much bigger scale. Yeah. And you're dealing with Guillermo del Toro. You're dealing with Katie Holmes. You're dealing with Guy Pierce. And you've got a child actor as your main star. And, you'll, and you only get them for four hours of the day or something like that. Yeah. yeah their parents so. have to be on set. Yeah, it's, they got a tutor. Yep. It's tough. Yep. And, you know, there's the two things you don't want to work with ever as a director are kids and animals. Yep. And Well, I mean, honestly, though, but that, that does that really matter anymore with the animal part? Because you could just CGI the animals. So it's just really just kids now. Yeah. Did you know that most dogs have CGI tails in movies? Even of course. if it's a real dog? Of course. Because they can't stop wagging their tail. Because if they're doing the thing they're supposed to, they're happy that they're doing it. So they have to CGI the tail. <laughs> nice. 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 That seems a little bit too much. Come on now. <laughs> um, all right. So now I'm going to get into the portion where I'm going to ask you, how do you think this is okay? And you're going to say like, well, whatever. Um, <laughs> the lights go out. And then we see Kim flipping light switches. You know the lights went out. What are you doing? When, what? when the lights go out at the end, oh, at the very and end? she's like, ching, 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 what are we doing? The lights are out. That's They're a out. classic horror movie. Uh... Is it? Is it? Is it a classic horror movie that a Polaroid, which has 10 flash bulbs, I was gonna, is able to go off 40 times? I was going to ask you. I don't have really 10. any. It's 10? Yeah, okay. It's 10. She would have to take it out and put a new one in. Well, I didn't know about the flash bulbs. I just figured that just keeps going off. But yeah. Like in terms of how many photographs. Well, I think you like 24, like the is same. Is it really I, that I, much? Um, you know what? Maybe not with Polaroids. Mae it's like 10 to 15. It's because it's they're thicker. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, I know, no. She's, already printed it's, out the infinite, it's the infinite Polaroid camera. Yeah. I'm like, what the? How many yeah. photos is she taking? <laughs> so she's trying to take photos of the creatures or she's using, I'm sorry, she they're having a dinner party and to, and to make her comfortable, she's given the Polaroid camera so that she can, because the creatures don't like light. flash or right. light. So she's using the stuff to like just take pictures, but she's she keeps seeing them and she gets a photo of one of them. Mm -hmm. And then she proceeds to just kind of sit on it. Like, take it to your dad. Take it immediately to your father and be like, well, she, she did. She said, look, I got a photo. And he goes, not now. Because he just had the uh, argument with Katie Holmes. So show somebody. Well, she doesn't even want to show anybody. Yeah, that's a, like a little kid thing. What about the arm? You talked about the arm. Mm -hmm. They come into the no, room. I, I, that's, yeah. I don't like that. I don't have any excuse for that. Show the arm. Like, yeah. she clearly didn't, I squished one, Dad. She, she clearly didn't rip down the uh, picture off the wall because she can't reach it. That falls down and she's in the library. At that point, Guy Pierce is like, something's going on right but at the same time when i was thinking because i thought that the first time i watched it was there's an arm right there yeah <laughs> I, this time i'm watching i go well maybe i mean she's pretty just much pretty much catatonic at this point right so i mean maybe she just can't do it i did like at the dinner party which i didn't really pay attention to the first time i watched it the rich people there from architectural digest and everything i like that they're not douchey snobs right you know they don't poo poo the little girl being there at all and when she's in trouble in the room, they're actively trying to help get her out. Yeah. And they're not like, 
Will she ruin the party? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. like, I think it might be time to go. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, that's yeah. a bit cliched. That, exactly. That, yeah. So I, I was people happy that, they didn't do so rich people that people. don't like kids. That's really cliched. Yeah, yeah. there's <laughs> a time and a place for your child yeah. upstairs or with their tutor. Well, let's talk about Mrs. Underhill because she's the most oblivious nanny <laughs> slash housekeeper I've ever seen. There's a huge. They have a huge fight. There's a giant fight in the in the in the dinner scene. Not that big dinner scene, but when when Kim and Alex and and um, Sally are fighting, Sally runs off and because. Alex yells at her and then Kim's like, do you, did that ever really work when you were a child? Oh, yeah. and she, she runs off. That's not what I'm saying. And then Andrea comes in like apple pie. Like she just hands like apple pie. She taps him on the shoulder yeah. like the apple pie is supposed to make you yeah. all bad. Did you not just see the blow up that happened, woman? Well, clearly she's a, a maid from 1952. So she's just got her preset. And, and, here's the, and the other thing is, so there's this is no, the other thing is that pie looks delicious. <laughs> you see how much okay. apple was in that pie? A lot. <laughs> Before before the big dinner scene and there's a scene where she has a bath she's a bath and this is this is after she's clearly upset she's sally is i'm talking about sally now is upset right. she's seen she's had a creature incident they've attacked her they they were in her room and she's going to take a bath why are you in this house anymore why are you absolutely okay with taking a bath regardless of that well what's she gonna do she's a little girl okay but or she's like neither the parents listen, believe her yet. listen that's fine that's yeah. not my problem she's taking a bath and then the creatures attack and she's screaming but like before that Underhill never checks it, never checks to see if she's okay. And when they open the door, I'm sorry, but you had to see them. I thought the same thing. Every time the creatures are attacking, they're pretty loud. Yeah. So it's like, how are you not hearing them scream? But yeah, as soon as they open the door, the creatures scatter like rats. Yeah. And it's like, you didn't notice that? Yeah. But that's not the worst one. I've got the worst one here. Mr. Harris gets injured downstairs and he calls up, I've been injured. It's clearly he's been attacked. Somebody, he has a, he has a scissor in the back, in his shoulder, rips it out, falls down, <laughs> clearly attacked by something. And it's just like, it's never questioned. What was the accident? It's never questioned. He said, I think he said I had an accident. Yeah, but they don't, but they, if so you're doing an investigation, the they're going to, it looks like you got cut up. It looks like something attacked you. What attacked you? You couldn't even say a creature. You couldn't say like a dog, a rabid dog, anything. What stabbed you in the shoulder with scissors? I fell on the scissors. Oh, please. Well, he's the one trying to cover his, his own I ass guess, up. So I, I guess. guess. I mean, what are you going to say? That's what you're going to say. And there's no one else in the house because the old lady and the little girl. Never mind the fact that after the fact, Alex is clearly going to be a suspect in Kim's disappearance because she's gone. Oh, and I thought that from the beginning. Yeah. I was expecting him to be arrested. And that like the ending was like. Yeah. Her being shipped off somewhere else, and like one of the creatures in her back. Well, they're gonna find her out. blood downstairs because she was bleeding profusely, especially when they cracked her leg again. Mm -hmm. And they're gonna find all the blood downstairs, so they're gonna realize that oh, he shoved. They're gonna look into that. Uh, that they call it an ash pit. They're gonna yeah. see the. They're going to go down there and look for her. Maybe every cop in that city just got <laughs> killed <laughs> one by one. They each got eaten. Yeah, it, there's a little bit of a hole at the end there. If they just ended it where at the when they're hugging mm -hmm. and which I know you can't because it's kind of a lame ending, but like they just to get away and you don't have them come back to the house and it's foreclosed. You don't have any of that. Mm -hmm. I'm less annoyed with that. Okay. But because you have that where it's foreclosed and they're moving on, it's like mm, you're not moving on. But it's also you gotta look at it, it's I look at it as this as, as as a fairy tale. Sure. So when you look at it like that, you know, you've got this creepy like the the that really nice shot of that that paper getting brushed off with the leaves and it goes to the door and you get this I kind of tour of the house and it goes down you get the creepy voiceover so in that case like it's not this is like a once upon a time modern day kind of story i got gotcha. you 
That's what I take from that. But I, I thought the same thing in real life. Yes. Yeah. He would absolutely be arrested. She would be shipped off back home with the creatures in her backpack or something. <laughs> like the Gremlins theme song would be playing as the uh, creature winked at the camera. <laughs> I'll remember that. <laughs> so I mean, so I didn't hate it, Butler, as you say. This was so. This is set not to jump ship, but this is set in Providence because it's the home of H.P. Lovecraft who wrote The Rats in the Walls, which was supposed to be an inspiration of this film. I don't know if it's supposed to be an inspiration for the original film or this film. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, I couldn't find anything about that. Now, you watched some of the the one from the 73. Was it 73? 73, yeah. Yeah, you, you watched some of that. What's, uh, what, 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 I know I know some of the differences. What were some of the differences? So in the original 1973 film, the story is similar, but you don't have, Sally's character is Kim. Kim is basically, Sally is the wife of Alex. And they move back, ex wife of Alex. And they move back into her old family home. And her father made a deal with these demon things that now live in the home and they want to kill Sally. So you don't have this little girl aspect of it. It's more the wife and husband kind of a. The father made the deal to have his own daughter killed? Not his own daughter, but a deal with demons, which is why they're in the house and they want to kill Sally. Sally. Now, that part part I couldn't figure out because I didn't watch the whole film, I just watched clips. Uh, but it, it was pretty interesting the way they did it because they used a lot of practical effects, like the creatures were guys in suits. And they, I saw that. Those yeah. don't hold up at all. Of course not. But, uh, <laughs> what I like is a lot of the sets are used. Obviously, you've got the actors on set, and then you have the set remade with like the bathroom cabinet is now huge, and the actors pop out as if it was like landed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of appreciated that. Some of it was actually pretty well done with like giant light switches and uh, the way the perspective was. They are human hands, but they look really tiny the way mm. it's filmed. So I liked some of that. And you still get those creepy whispers, which were really well done in that 1973 one. So I can see how back then in 1973, so like a kid watching it would have been pretty freaked out. By right. Of course. Of course. On ABC. Yeah, sure enough. Yeah. I, I get that. A little cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> well, now looking yeah. back, obviously, when everything's like that, when you look back, it gets a little just kind of, uh, you know, a little, I don't know what that was. Um, <laughs> so is Guy Pierce wearing a wig in this movie? I was gonna tell. I was gonna bring that up. His hair looks awful. Oh, I mean, I I think it's a wig. I don't think it, it probably. Is. And if it's a wig, why are you giving him a mullet? You got If you, that's okay, you got to give him a wig because he's in something else. But why has he got a mullet on? What, what? Maybe that's what they had in Australia. <laughs> Fire the hairstylist with that was. <laughs> I wonder if he had it shaved. Uh, when did Lockout come out? Oh man, you're gonna make me look that up. Well, Lockout was 2012. So they, if they, this was 20, this was, this, this is listed as a 2010 movie, but then it's released in 2011. So let's just say it was probably shot in 2010. Right. So if if that's in lockout could have been shot either before that, if it was pushed to, you know, it it, it could be something like that. That might be, that might be accurate. It might be, he might've had his head shaved for another role or for something else. And is his head shaved in lockout? I think it is sure, but he's also in the road. Yeah, he might have. It's fine. I just if you're gonna give him a, if you're gonna give him a wig, why are you putting? Why give him a mullet? That's his fine. Hair, his hair looks. It wasn't. It wasn't great. It wasn't. It was. It, it wasn't a good look. Just I couldn't stop looking at it. <laughs> I, I, I liked Mr. Harris getting rough with Sally, grabbing. Oh, don't go down there! He's like yelling. There's no basement. There's no basement. Yeah, I don't swear. look. It's just it's just bushes. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. They were never gonna find that that glass dome. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Come on. That is a sweet climbing tree. Uh, in the, the one in the front. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I climb that. That's it. That tree constantly. That's like a big tree too. Nice, 
nice branches. Yeah, that's 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 a tree you climb. That's a tree you climb. I like the uh, koi pond too. It's a nice koi pond. <laughs> I've flown these in. Do you, uh, when she was explaining the the koi, I was just like, all right, enough. <laughs> no, I'm, I get it. You're proud of yourself. Yeah. Everything's sourced from the same place. Blackwood got it. Yeah, I, yeah. What were they going to sell that house for? Millions. 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 Yeah. That was and it's shot. They shot on. It's called Drusilla Mansion, which is in Mount Macedon, if that's wrong. I apologize. And Melbourne in Australia, mm-hmm. in, Vic- in Victoria. Um, so it's a mansion. They, they, it wasn't like a home. It was a giant mansion they were flipping. Do you think they put those, they brought those doors in and all that stuff, all that artwork and all those carved? Oh, I think the, the, the front door was definitely, yeah. definitely fake that they brought in for that. Right. Because it matches the, the foyer, which is definitely a set. Okay. It matches the wood pieces that you see. So, do you think that the mansion stuff was the outside stuff, and then everything else inside is a set? It's got to be the way the set. Everything in the set is such. I mean, I I know there's really austere, like really ridiculous, yeah, uh, mansions, but everything in the in like the foyer, in the library, in the dining room seemed oversized a bit, just like slightly bigger than it should be. And you never see anything connect. You know exactly, what I mean? Yeah. It's never, it's always separate rooms. So yeah, I, 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 you're probably right. But they, then I would assume that the outdoor stuff was definitely like driving up to it. Oh, for sure. That yeah. was the Australian was, yeah. was the mansion or, or was it, maybe it was a guest house or something. Well, as I was thinking, like if they filmed at a huge mansion, that house didn't, isn't that big in the inside. In terms maybe of they digitally wiped away some of the, some of the stuff outside. Yeah. And they, but they used the backyard stuff and yeah, that makes more sense. Now that we, now that we talk about it. <laughs> nice job. Nice job, Lovett. So why do you think, I mean, I, I know why I think it's forgotten, but why do you think it's forgotten? You put it on the list because it clearly you thought it fit some criteria. I, well, I thought it was, it's a really creepy story. I think, obviously, it's, it plays to the fear of the dark, which everybody's afraid of the dark. In a really but this movie tells way. you not to be afraid of the dark. Exactly. That's why I put it in my Instagram story uh, last it. night. You should probably be afraid of the dark. Well, not last night, 10 weeks ago. <laughs> uh but I thought it was really well done. I think the creatures are neat. It's a, it's a, it's a creepy, spooky story in the way that we used to see in the 70s and 80s. Those little creatures and their whispers. And it's not just a ghost story or a serial killer story. It's, it's something interesting. It's something different. Your monster is not huge. Yes, I would have liked if they were animatronic, but they're still these little creatures. And it's not that they're strong or powerful. It's that they're creepy and that's their power is is their creep factor kind of right and they're being an asshole they're collectively <laughs> our assholes <laughs> uh and i i love the look of it it doesn't look like your typical horror film i think it's beautifully shot beautifully lit the sets are really nice like it's this really gorgeous scary film and this is this haunting fairy tale which crimson peak kind of is but i never really liked crimson peak as much as i i enjoyed watching don't be afraid of the dark like Crimson Peak was like I watched it and forgot it, mm-hmm. but I do like the way Del Toro films these things as these dark fairy tales, and Hellboy Two is a lot like that as well. So that's what I really remember about this. But I think that's also why a lot of people don't like this movie. I think making it rated R hurt it, like we said before. But I also think that even if you made a PG thirteen, teenagers are going to watch this and go, "This isn't Conjuring." Is was Conjuring before this? Yeah, it was still around the time of Conjuring, Paranormal Activity. Those. Well, it's not a Blumhouse film. It's not yeah. a Jump House scare. Yeah. Well, it is it's full of jump movie. scares, though. Really? Yeah. None of them ever get me in this movie. Yeah. It is. I mean, I it's got jump scares. Some, some stuff, yeah. But it's not quite like the way Paranormal Activity has their jump scares. True. The Conjuring. Well, what, the, when she's under the sheet. The sheet is. Yeah, the sheet's yeah. a big one. Yeah. And I love that shot. 
I also love when she squishes the other the creature at the end with the flashlight. Which it, it's like you only can so basically I don't know if they even did you kill the one that lost the arm. So she's killed two. He might two. not have died. Okay, so she, but she, she definitely killed. She the only old guy. killed one. <laughs> Is that supposed to be Blackwood? I think yeah, he's definitely the main one. He's whatever Katie Holmes. That's what I. Why is the one. Why is their newest one always the leader? Because it's the one with the real soul, maybe. Maybe I don't know. All right, that's again. This is all. All of that is based on actually, even though this is based on a 1973, uh, the TV movie. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro, and I'm sure you read it in your notes. He based a lot of the fairy elements and stuff on the work of Arthur. I'm gonna mispronounce his name. Matchin. Well, he's a he's a Welsh author. He's an influence in a lot of his stuff. Right. His his lore comes from like a dark place. So like his fairies and his tooth fairies and his gremlins, goblins, angels, and stuff. They're all they all have a dark side to all of them. Sure, like grim fairy tales. Exactly. So I think that kind of works with the whole soul aspect and stuff like that. Yeah. But I think that doesn't really maybe resonate with younger audiences who are your draw for horror movies like this. I just don't think it's what people are looking for in their scary movies nowadays. I think if it was an R and it was more, it, it's, I think it's more for a young adult crowd, that kind of scary stories in the dark, which did do well. No. Well, it did well enough to get a sequel, but True. I was really surprised it didn't do better than it did when we released it. Well, we're in a new world where now you're going you're gonna to start having more promoted and hyped up VOD releases and digital releases, this would be a movie that would be for that. If you made it now, this would be a movie yeah. that you'd catch it at home in the, in the comfort of your own home. That you could, you could really hype it up. I know we always say this. Okay. This would make a really good, you always say this. I do. Always say this. this would make a really good four part. I don't series. think it's, I don't want it to be a series. No, I want it to be a limited. I, I, no. I think I don't a, a movie. Yes. You, I mean, you want to, you want to go into like maybe what, what, Kim was about. You could really kind of dissect the characters because in the in the heart of the the film, there's an actual story. There's an actual character driven narrative that they don't really explore too much. That could be further explored about the relationship between the stepmother and a, a stepdaughter. I think uh, I think the interaction or the the mystery around the fairies needs to improve. I think a mm-hmm. lot of stuff needs to improve if you want to do like a limited series. Like a, a four episodes, okay, but not six or eight. No, Give me four like, hour episodes, sure. Okay, four hours yeah. of, okay, but then you're going to need to beef up. I want to want to see the mother. You're going to need to beef up the actors. You're going to need to be, I'd, you know what? I'd want another kid in there, not just a single kid. You know what I mean? Or maybe she, maybe Kim has a, has an older son. And, you know, maybe it's not just about getting Kim's acceptance, but the son, like stuff like that. Like you're going to want to add another younger adult element to that, maybe, maybe a teenager in there. Somebody who, it's not just her alone. Who's only one seeing it? Right. Like she has to have an ally of sorts, ally of sorts. Excuse me. Um, it's not Mr. Harris. It's Mrs. Underhill's. A, pff, <laughs> uh, she's oblivious. Oh, trying to protect her. Well, I think it becomes that's Kim all. Pretty, pretty. I think halfway. Through I think songs. you need more characters. That's all I think. All right, that's all. And the father with his new girlfriend. I think the girlfriend should be uh, age appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Just you know, it's that's not that. That's not that big of an age difference. No, but I'm saying that somebody who is is not like if you're gonna let's put it this way if you're gonna add an older son or an older daughter a teenage daughter to the mm-hmm. mix and the mother should be older oh okay i see that's what, what i'm saying. saying okay that's all i'm saying i so think if, it's, if you had a teenage son you can't have it kid, you can't, right and finish. but but then you have two people that it's really tough to kind of like you know what i'm thinking i keep thinking of poltergeist 
So I keep thinking of Joe Beth Williams and Greg T. Nelson. Like I keep yeah. thinking like that kind of parent, like yeah. those parents who the mother is more attuned to believe, but it takes the father a little bit longer. That kind of thing. Right. That's what I'm saying. That being said, Poltergeist is awesome. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I'm not, I don't want to go down that road. So really good. you said that you don't not like this movie. But right. You also haven't told me anything that you like about this movie. Why, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said stuff I liked. Right? What, what you say you like? You well, I agree with you. The sets are nice. <laughs> I enjoy the sets. I don't mind. I like Guy Pierce. I like that Guy Pierce isn't a. I like the father isn't a father figure who is so uh, obtuse to his daughter. He cares about his daughter. He's not. You know, there is moments where he's trying to focus on his career, but he's not. He's like uh, a serious deadbeat dad. Yeah, yeah. the horror he's, archetype where it's like, right. well, he's not making it. He's not yeah. saddled with his daughter. Like he's, you know, the, the mother is somebody who, you know, who he's he's trying to protect the daughter from. Clearly, he knows why the mother's getting rid of her kind of thing. Right. Um, I don't I don't mind Kim's character. I, I don't like I said, I think that it could have there's probably some stuff that I would have, you know, wanted more of in terms of her character development. Um the little nitpicky stuff we're talking about the Polaroid. That's fine. Movies have that. I get that. I wasn't a big deal when she has it for flash bulbs. I was just laughing. I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, I th- the fact that it's only 99 minutes helps. And it's a quite, I understand what you're saying. It's a nice little short ghost story, scary story. Um, I, I wasn't, it didn't, it didn't bother me too much. I just had a lot of, my big thing is just the character development and the, and the story. Um, I, I just think it needed more. That's all. I, I wasn't anything, um, you know, oh, it's so awful. I just, I wanted more. There was, I think there was stuff that was missing and I, to make a difference between a movie that was, is something that's like, oh my God, this is really good to a movie that's like, eh, it's okay. That's not bad. It's not, you know, I've seen worse, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I, like, I, I like the same stuff. You like the, uh, you like more, you're more attuned to uh, a movie's atmosphere inter- over, over story. And I'm more attuned to the story over an atmosphere. I appreciate the atmosphere that yeah. you 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 like about this. I can forgive it. story if you have atmosphere and if you have theme. If you have like I've said before, if you don't have a theme, you don't yeah. have to forgive. I can't forgive story. So that if, way. It, if it doesn't have a theme, I can't forgive the story. But mm. if a story's okay, but it's got a, a solid theme and the atmosphere is great, like this one had, like the themes are present. Sure, I like. It. I can see. Here's the thing. I can. Uh, you're you see you're 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 doing you're using that scale to judge your base about how much you like the movie. Right. I'm saying that I can't I can like aspects the same aspects you like in this movie that doesn't make me say but I, that that means that I like this movie like it just means that I I enjoy so some of this stuff in this movie I enjoy right but the script is something that it, I I that it all needs to work for me in right. order for me to say like I like that I get I'm jaded I need more that's fine but I'm a story guy and I and the, and when when I'm watching something and I say this all the time and if something's off or it kind of bugs me, it pulls me out. And I, and when something pulls me out of the movie, then I start seeing the other things that, that bother me. I get you. Um, but that being said, like I love scripts that know what kind of movies they are, like shoot them up. Like the movie with Clive, Clive right. Owen. Yeah. I know, I know what that movie is right off the bat and I'm, I'm in, I buy in and you know, that's fine. I, I and there's the more ridiculous it gets. I get that. Those are specific type of movies. Right. That's all, you know, we'll see how that works next week. <laughs> I've, I've, I've seen Evil Dead. I know. So next week, <laughs> we'll be finishing up our second annual Forgotten Horror, where we'll be doing Evil Dead, the 2013 remake of Evil Dead. Right. Um, yeah. So Evil Dead is not forgotten. No, not at all. It's awesome. Although I would love to do a whole series. Of Evil Dead. Well, you mean the like Evil me. Dead podcast? It's right. 85 episodes. Good luck with. It. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that. <laughs> 
All right. So um, that's it. Uh, thanks for listening today. And uh, whenever you're listening to this, join us next week for Evil Dead, the 2013 version. And then we'll wrap up Forgotten Horror and then we'll move on to November. That was my little. But it's like August, man. It's hot. Out well, it's August now. <laughs> We're really far ahead. <laughs> I know we keep saying that and we should probably stop saying that. We're really excited. We're really. Hold on, yeah. Let me pat myself on the back. Nice. You hear that? There. <laughs> just do. Nice. All right. So again, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten. <laughs> Stay spooky, y'all. I get, I it. I, it's stupid. It. It's, no, I don't love it. It's, it's so <laughs> dumb. <laughs> Save it for your other podcast. Thank you.